This is an interview with Sheik Spitfire, singer and bassist for Witch Seeker, on Sunday, April 4th, 2021, by Nick Perkel. Now, Sheik, tell me the story about how you got your first bass guitar. Oh, um, how I got my first bass guitar? Well, um, I had a very uh, difficult upbringing when I get my first bass guitar, mainly because uh, when it comes to music, I I didn't have um, full support of this. So I had to get my first bass guitar I'm like secretly. So I was like 17 at that time and I was still in high school. So I had to like save up my lunch money and like some allowance that um I I get from like relatives and such. So I went ahead and like go to an online music forum. Um it was called um soft.com.sg. Um is where all musicians around Singapore just come in together and like find band members. So at the same time there were people selling like musical gears. So I needed to get a, my first bass guitar like somewhere or somehow like getting a brand new one was just way too expensive for like a 17 year old kid. So I got one, it was called like a TGM. It wasn't that fantastic because like when I first got it, it had like a little buzz on it to just practice, you know. So when I got that bass guitar home, I was like shaking in fear because like my family isn't that supportive of me playing music. So I had to plan my way and like getting this bass guitar home and like hide it in the bedroom so that um no one will catch me. So like when everyone is asleep, I will just take out my bass guitar and I'll just like practice it like like one or two AM. Were you involved in any private music schools or have any private tutors when you were growing up? Um, no, actually everything was just uh, self taught. Initially, I didn't pick up the bass guitar. I actually wanted to learn guitar at first. But, you know, upon um, touching one, it actually broke. My mom and my family didn't really support me in doing music. So I actually picked up drums by accident in school. So it was just uh, one fateful day. I just sat by a drum set and then started hitting things. And then, like you know, oh, this is how it works. And then um, what happened was I began to you know approaching people to teach me like some musical notes or like some lessons but yeah a lot of the guys were like uh, too busy or too um, stuck up to actually give me some lessons so I had to rely on YouTube and like learn from there thank God at that point of time I think it was like uh, 2007 yeah YouTube was around and internet was uh, pretty decent at that point of time so yeah, no lessons, no tutorials, uh, just relying on YouTube and like watching people. How did Witch Seeker form and what was your original intention for the style of the band? So when I formed Witch Seeker, that was around 2012. Um, the drive for me to actually form Witch Seeker was actually a few reasons. One was um, I was moving from my old band when I was playing drums. Yeah, we were playing like mainly covers, but we were not doing uh, anything original. So there was no progression from there. So I decided to just start my own band, probably just myself, because I couldn't really find the uh, band members to actually um, work with me. So I wanted to just write, record, and just put the music out there in, in, on the internet. The style that I wanted to play was actually just, you know, heavy metal. Like all the mu all the metal bands around Singapore, like. They were just competing in terms of being the most evil or the most brutal sounding band. It got to the point where it just sounded stale and boring and 
I couldn't really accept, you know, listening to these bands anymore. So I just, why not? I just decided to just form my own band and do my own thing. Right now in 2021, what is it like being the lead singer of a metal band in Singapore? Uh, I feel that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having fun. At the same time, it's exhausting because, like, apart from being a lead singer, you have to also uh, be aware that you're like, the front man and you, you have to front the band. Being a lead singer, yeah, um, it's quite a responsibility because you have to actually watch for your health because uh, having bad health means, like, you can't really go on stage and, and I'm playing bass as well and while singing so it's kind of like a double duty so it takes like extra energy from you so uh, it's fun but yet exhausting. Have things changed all that much um, dealing with the, the coronavirus at all or do you guys not notice uh, that much? Um, in terms of uh, this uh, pandemic that we are facing actually there's uh, been a, a lot of a uh, significant change. Uh, for one thing uh, we haven't met I mean, like, I haven't met with the rest of the guys, like, over a year because, like, um, due to restrictions and, like, some of us have uh, working schedules. So when um, Corona hit us, like, somewhere in uh, 2020 last year, it kind of uh, affected us a lot, like, in terms of our, our lives and our, our um, like, um, band. I was, like, we were in the middle of uh, mixing the album for Scene of the Wild last year and then um, COVID came in and then we had to put that on a hold for a moment and then like uh, some of us uh, our jobs got affected so we sort out our lives at the same time um, in terms of our playing live all musical venues and pubs were actually closed till further notice so till today we are still uh, you know not doing anything much other than just uh, moving on to releasing this uh, album which was initially supposed to be released last year but it got uh, pushed forward to somewhere this year instead. So, yeah, here we are. But uh, apart from that, I'm just uh, making myself uh, a little productive by um, writing new songs, probably for a new album. When I will release it, maybe in uh, next year or the year after. Now, what was the feeling in the air when you guys started working on Scene of the Wild? And was there anything unique or really special going on that was different than previous recording experiences? Oh, definitely. In terms of uh, writing-wise, there's not much difference because uh, most of the, I mean, like the writing is mainly done by me. So, in terms of recording-wise, this is the first time that um, we are recording like as a full band, you know, like having real band members for the first time. Because the first album, Brandon on guitars, so bass and drums at the same time. So it was just a two-man project at the time, and we were at that point of time, 2017. We just plugged in and record and just like wanted to put it out there, you know. This time it's a little different because uh, we have four guys and I was stepping in as the main producer of the album. So that was like another responsibility on my end, but uh, it was fun, but it was still challenging. I had to uh, keep up with the schedule with the guys and, you know, um, some of us uh, have a busy, busy working schedules and like some of us are actually, I mean like two of the guys in the bands are actually um, dads. So that like to keep up with like taking care of their family at the same time, yeah, juggling in terms of like keeping up with the schedule and like recording quality was uh, quite a challenge. But yeah, we got it done pretty pretty nice. And then um, COVID came in and kind of like ruined it for a while. Like that one got got us delayed for about eight months later to do the mastering. 
So when that mastering was done, finally, like late September of last year, 2020, I began uh, scouting out for record labels, you know, to release this album because I find that the album for Scene of the Wild deserves more attention in terms of getting it beyond Singapore. So I wanted Scene of the Wild to actually touch all around the world. For your band, what's the typical way you compose a song? I will just go about my day, like doing my own thing, and then like suddenly a riff just comes up in my head. If that riff kind of like lasted for the entire day, and I could still remember it, I will keep that for a song. Lyrical approach. This one really, it kind of varies because uh, my lyrical approach can draw from um, any inspiration. So when it comes to Scene of the Wild, the, the lyrical approach was mainly the lifestyle and the experiences that I or maybe somebody else's experience that I was inspired with. So it kind of like jumbles up and links together and blends in well as almost as a conceptual album, I would say. I really love Nights in Tokyo the best and can totally hear your love for the old glam metal scene and the new wave of Swedish sleaze metal in the choruses. Can you tell me about how you wrote that song and some of your favorite songs from both those scenes? Thank you for liking that song, by the way. Yeah, I kind of like that song as well. This was the last song that I completed writing and I believe this is the last song I rec- like finished like, recording the vocals. The inspiration for this song was mainly from the experiences that I came to know about from like my friends or other people who are just like, you know, in this day and age, people are just like hooking up with like many different people to just like get it on and like maybe travel abroad to just having that one night coming back and then just call it a day. And then there will be that one guy or one chick who will just felt something more than just like a, a one night of fun, you know. The story actually goes where after that deed, that dirty deed was done, they felt that kind of special connection. I mean, one of them feel that kind of special connection, but is and lo- is longing for something more, but it can't be done because like there was like an agreement between each of them to not making it into something more than just like a one night of fun. Moral of the story of this song is to just tell like listeners out there, you know. If you want to go and like sleep around and hooking up, you got to be careful because like you might end up with somebody you really, really want to be with, but you can't and you're going to feel really depressed about it if you can't get what you want. What were some of your favorite songs from those scenes, by the way? Uh, my favorite songs, I guess, uh, I mean, like all of them, I, I, uh, it's a little biased for me to say everything is my favorite. But I think the most okay, I have two that really stuck. That's really stuck in my mind is uh, one was "Rock This Night Away" because uh, it it really felt like a anthem kind of a uh, music. I would say because I'm a big fan of uh, music that has like big chorus and it's like an anthem where people could just uh, remember and like sing along with. Like um, an example is like Scorpions' um, "Rock You Like a Hurricane" or Skid Row's uh, "You've Gone Wild." I would say. Like big choruses, uh, very memorable riffs. Uh, one more would be, I believe, it would be Breakaway. That song was like, um, really means something to me in terms of uh, writing wise because that was done in literally in one hour. 
and like the lyrical concept was also done in less than like 20 minutes because uh, it was mainly inspired about, about me hitting my job at that point of time at the same time it kind of like relates back to a lot of my friends who are like dragging and like really hating their job so it was like a really nice uh, theme and uh, like lyrical content to actually include in this album for listeners who are actually dreading about their their day job and you know is to actually inspire them to actually break off from the mundane routine and like do something for yourself and get inspired daily you know can you tell me about some of the highlights you have as a musician with playing different locations in Singapore? And have you ever performed in other countries? Mostly in Singapore, we've been playing in like club, like small clubs and pubs because uh, technically Singapore is still a very conservative country, I would say, um, in terms of um, metal and like other subgenres of, uh, of extreme music. Uh, it is still being looked down upon. But um, we are still working on that. So in terms of acceptance, it is not really welcome as of much yet, depending on the venue. So if we are playing uh, on like um, probably a theater, a musical theater, I would say, yeah, we would normally get like a different crowds. And for those who are seeing us for the first time, we usually uh, appreciate us because like they will feel like oh, I didn't know um, there's a heavy metal band in Singapore. Like, they've been, like, looking, like, all this while they thought, you know, Singapore um, heavy metal group, I mean, extreme music scene, only compromises of, you know, um, bands who were just, like, screaming their guts out, you know, just uh, chugging riffs and distorted guitars. What I'm trying to say is uh, Singaporeans here are still a little bit close-minded in terms of, like, finding local music around Singapore so it kind of uh, sometimes it takes them like a live show or a public showcase to actually um, check out um, on your band and actually becoming a fan of yours uh, in terms of uh, playing other countries so far we only have played in Malaysia and in Indonesia we played in uh, this ham- this festival called Hamasonic Festival in Indonesia yeah um, that was the first time we ever played an overseas show I would say and it was the first time um, playing there, so we played like somewhere like around like noon at 12.30 a.m. And it was like scorching hot, <laughs> and I remember like getting a heat stroke from it. Uh, but it was cool, people really liked us, because like the Indonesian music scene, I would say, a lot of the guys there are mainly into like slam dancing or like extreme music, like you know, death, like I mean beyond death metal, like deathcore and death grind or brutal grind or whatever you call it when we got on and played we were really being accepted by the guys there because like we are not that heavy but at the same time we are considered extreme for them to you know to actually dig us so it was really cool to play in uh, Indonesia for the first time and you know meeting new people and discovering new fans from there yeah now, you got your album featured in an article from Decibel Magazine a few weeks ago. What kind of reactions have you gotten from that post, and were most of them American or a decent mix of various different countries? Okay, firstly, we didn't really expect to be featured in Decibel Magazine. So when I woke up, I think it was like last Thursday, or sorry, last Tuesday, if I, if I recall correctly, 
and I saw the link that um our record label actually tagged us. Uh, we were featured in Decibel magazine. I was like, holy shit, this Decibel magazine. We were really thrilled about it. And then the reactions that we got were mainly from uh, American. I mean, it was like a mixture from America, South America, Europe. And then like, yeah, it, it feels uh, really cool to know that people from other countries really dig us. I mean, to be honest with you, when it comes to um, heavy metal or extreme extreme music in general, um, it's only um, highly dominated by um, the Americans and the European scene. So for us, from, um, from an Asian country to step in, to actually trying to be on par, I would say, with the rest of these bands, it was a little bit difficult because uh, one of our ethnicity, some people will actually... Truth be told, they will actually look down on Asian bands because they find that uh, the kind of music will only be played by uh, European or American bands. But uh, it is still cool to know that um, there are people who are really accepting of the music that we played regardless of where we come from and our, our ethnicity, I would say. So yeah, our fan base kind of uh, grew. And, you know, people were, like, really, like, asking us for our albums and our vinyls. But, unfortunately, some of some of our stuff uh, still got delayed thanks to, pan- thanks to the pandemic. So, we really urge uh, everyone to actually uh, give us a little bit of time while the stuff are actually making their way over from customs. You appeared on a cover of Troops of Doom with the band Balbarith. How close are you to that band? Okay, uh, that band, we were actually pretty close I mean, seven years ago, I would say, yeah, we were actually friends, but unfortunately, we had a fo- we had a fallout uh, due to uh, some uh, reasons. I would say I I won't really go into specific why actually we had a fallout. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, we had a good time. I mean, like at a, at that point of time, you know, just uh, hanging out as just friends from different bands. However, you know, as the years goes by, things didn't really turn out well. So we went our separate ways, but I just wish them, you know, the best of luck in whatever they're doing right now. You ever do any other tracks besides that one with other bands besides Witchseeker? Currently, no, um, because I'm I'm pretty, uh, I have a whole lot on my plate when it comes to Witchseeker, you know, because like I'm handling most of the stuff like writing music, writing lyrics, uh, promoting marketing, like basically everything I would say. So I didn't really have some time to actually do other musical projects with other bands. Um, however, I was I was approached to actually contribute to um, writing lyrics for, you know, mainstream, writing lyrics for mainstream music um, in terms of like, you know, hey, um, do you want to make like, uh, contribute to writing lyrics for like some mainstream band and then like you know getting some some like royalties from there and yeah i've i've been thinking about it but i'll just uh consider it uh in the in time to come when i have more time on my end yeah but currently i'm just uh busy with a uh, weed seeker and like ad- like my other hobbies such as like um gaming i see um you have any cool stuff in your gaming collection Oh, dude, I've been, ever since um, 
COVID started, I've been uh, I've been like playing like more games lately. So uh, I'm playing on Nintendo Switch. So yeah, currently I've been playing like a lot of Fortnite, a lot of um, thinking the Pokemon Pokemon Sword and Shield, and I've been playing a few uh, Mario Kart, Mario Party. I mean those games that you know you can play with like your friends online and such. I just got started with uh, Assassin's Assassin's Creed actually. And one more I got started with the latest game I found was uh, uh is this a it, it's like a puzzle game I would say it's called Conduct Together. It's like a train it's like a game where you had to like fix the the rails on the trains and you have like a time limit. Uh I'm really into like um puzzle games and like problem solving games like it's, it's kind of fun yeah so I'm, I'm actually looking more into like other games that i can play so if you have like any recommendations i could go check it out with me uh, keep in mind i'm a little bit older than you um i've got yeah. um some pretty cool stuff um i actually like when i i lived in japan for a year i actually got mm-hmm. myself a neo geo with about seven games and that's mm-hmm. Along with my TurboGrafx-16, which I have, like, the CD add-on and everything like that, those are, like, the two big treasures of my collection. And um, I don't bring them out very, very often at all, but um, I guess it's just kind of like King of Fighters 2001, Samurai Showdown 1 and 2. Those are what I play the most when it comes to my Neo Geo. Dude, dude, King of Fighters, I'm a big fan. So I've always played King of Fighters, like, um, I we had like a slot machine like two blocks down, um, from where I live, so it cost like about fifty cents per game. So normally, me and my friends back then after school, we we would normally just go to this uh, provision shop. They had this like arcade machine. We would play King of Fighters, like I think like about two three hours, and I would just get a scolding from my mom upon like coming back home like. Like where you go? Like I thought you got <laughs> yeah. kidnapped or something. Like, no man, I'm playing King of Fighters downstairs. What are your three most treasured albums in your collection? Oh, um, okay. Actually, I have a lot of albums that um in my collection. To pick three has been the toughest in this question, I would say. But okay, to start it off, the number one collection, the number one on my list right now will be the very best of Rainbow. Um, compilation CD because um, that one belongs to my dad. So this was the first album that I discovered as a kid. I was like, I think like I was like five years old or something. So uh, I remember that day I didn't went for my kindergarten school. I think I I, I felt sick or something like that. Or oh, I didn't I didn't really wanted to go to school. So I was just like browsing around at home. I think my mom was sleeping. So. I just uh, opened the drawer and I saw this um, CD and like, I was like, it was a picture of uh, Richie Blackmore. He was like, all, he was like almost in flames and I was like, what is this? So I decided to take it and then like put it in our like um. And back then we had this um CD player. It was like a humble CD slash uh, VCD player at that time. So when I put it on. The first track, it was uh, Man on the Silver Mountain. That completely changed my life significantly. Like, I listened from the first track to the last track. I think there was, there was like 17 tracks altogether. I mean, like, I got to thank my dad for actually having this in his uh, collection. 
uh, even though my my family isn't really much of a musical uh, um musical supporting type so um the second one i would say it would be the crimson idol from wops so i'm a big fan of uh, blackie lawless but the crimson idol really changed my mind in terms of it was the best uh, um, concept album that that was ever written in terms of the heavy metal world i kind of like grew obsessed with that album from start to start to finish because like there, there isn't any bad song on that album it's something that you can listen over and over and it is more than it is more than just like a like just a normal music um album i would say it is like you're listening to a movie yeah and the third album in my collection i would have to say it would be enforcer's diamonds yeah so when i mean i'm a, i'm a fan of enforcer and um thankfully and i'm grateful that you know me and and the guys still keep in contact in on facebook um i followed them on myspace when they first started off and and you know till today it kind of blew my mind like when i first discovered them on myspace i think in 2008 or something i was just a fan of you know this kind of music and then one day you know you meet up with these guys and then and then like you know play play a show together and then like becoming facebook friends and you know Olaf from from enforcer actually mastered scene of the wild album for me so that was pretty cool uh when it comes to the album wise i think diamonds was the one that actually kind of like made me obsessed with uh embracing into the heavy metal world even more when it first came out so from from top to bottom i didn't really skip any track from it so it was kind of that it, it's one of those albums that kind of like um changed my life and also you know having that auto signed by all of them it's also like a like a treasure for me what was the most wild adventure for you getting to a concert okay the most wild adventure for me was i believe this was in uh, 2013 this was um watching metallica for the first time uh apparently metallica came to singapore well this was the second time they they made their stop here in singapore i mean like the first time um they ever played here was 1993 that was like during the black album era and i was like one year old so i wasn't really aware of metallica yeah so back then in 2013 i remember it was one hell of it one hell of it an adventure because uh back then in 2013 i was still i just uh, got enlisted in serving my military service so i was like like about 2 months into it and i remember that day it was a saturday uh, the, the concert falls on a saturday and i was like on the edge of not being allowed to go back to singapore to actually um, you know enjoy my weekends because i might, i was like told i might be scheduled to be doing this thing called guard duty or just to put it in in a simpler perspective taking care of the camp over the, over the weekend so i almost got that but thankfully i got away with it so i i went home and then like you know the next day was saturday 
the concert was like somewhere like on the edge of the map of Singapore. It was like like a very uh, secluded area, so a big secluded area. So yeah, we had to, we had to took like a cab to go there, and then and, like we had to like like form like a big line, and it was like scorching hot. And then like upon entering. Um, I would say that was the most violent concert I ever attended locally in Singapore. And then, like you know, when Metallica came on, I think the the first uh the first song that they played was I think not Phantom Lord. I think it was Whiplash or something. And then like the crowd just got super insane, dude. I almost got crushed in the crowd. Well, that was like one exhausting show. I would say I think it lasted about two hours. So yeah, I suffered like a like a major, a major whiplash and a back aches, and then the next day I had to return to camp. So like that was the most uh, adventurous concert I would say by far. What is your favorite ghost story from living in Singapore? Ah, uh, yeah, I have like a lot of ghost story to share with you, but I think uh, if I have to pick one, it would be this uh, classic story where uh there would be this uh this urban folklore of this uh, old lady will actually go door to door to your household and just like knock on the door to sell like like um, snacks like traditional um, Malay traditional Malay Muslim snacks and then like uh, there's this folklore that say that you know if you open the door and then if you don't buy the snacks from her she would actually like send like this uh, ghost or like phantom so um, it's called the Pontiana, um, which translate is like a, is like a like a witch, it's like a witch slash ghost phantom, some sort of thing. Uh, that is one variation of the story. The other variation, um, they they mentioned that if you buy the the snacks from her after she leaves your household, your snacks would actually have like worms or maggots on it. So. Yeah, there, there have been like many variations of this story. Uh, at the same time, there have been like um, false accusation, you know, because like there are like um, like Malay ladies or old ladies that are selling snacks door to door to actually make to make ends meet. But because of this story, unfortunately, people are not opening their doors and trying to help out. For me, on the other hand, I kind of try not to believe in this kind of uh, stories because like. Like I wanna help out and like you know, try to contribute to to this like, um like old ladies or like these people who are trying their best to actually make a living. So I'll just like buy like some snacks. Uh, I think it will cost like about if you buy three 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 packets of it, I think it costs about ten dollars. I mean some some of the snacks are nice. Some of the snacks are nice and like you know it goes well when I'm like watching a movie at home or something. So yeah. So what I'm trying to say is like, try not to believe in like urban folklore and like, try to be nice with, try to be kind and nice to each other, especially in these times of COVID. I believe everybody's trying to, trying their best to make ends meet, apart from like, just uh, actually condemning or accusing this lady to be a ghost or a witch. Why not you just open your door and like support them in like just buying a snack? Uh, final words. Oh, final words. Okay. 
Dear ladies and gentlemen, I'm Shakespeare Fire from Witch Seeker and we're from Singapore. We just released a new album called Scene of the Wild that is available on Dying Victims Productions. Get them now or play it loud at your household. So stay safe, keep it wild, keep it true and stay metal. Thank you. This has been an interview with Sheik Spitfire, singer for Witch Seeker, on Sunday, April 4th, 2021, by Nick Perkel.